Hello, what's this week's Sports Zone on Salford City Radio? I'm Rob Paxson, and we're here talking thing, talking sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we've got Jane Sweetman. How you? How's your week been, mate? Yeah, terrific week, Rob, and I can't wait to break down all the sports in action with you today over the next hour. Yeah, so there's loads and loads to go at. Uh, I'm going to start with the rugby, James. Yeah, we most certainly are. And there's been some big news for Salford Red Devils, isn't there? They've announced a new signing. Can you tell us all about him? Yeah, Salford have announced a new signing. King Vuiyawa from Leeds uh, is a prop forward. Is is a big unit, James. Something that we need. We need a lot of grumph up that up that middle. Uh, we've lost the likes of uh, Big Seb. We've lost the likes of Lee Mossop, and he will replace uh, that grit and that power in the centre of the field. And that's important, I think, in rugby league because you need a pack to be able to build for your backs and your half-backs to play. And I think he will add uh, that to it, to our game, which is important because obviously we're a team in transition. Uh, he will come in. He's been playing for Leeds Rhinos, who are a good side. Uh, so hopefully he will uh, he'll bring that form with him uh, and take over to the next level. Yeah, most certainly. Definitely a massive signing there and hopefully he can br- help bring Salford on over the coming season. But in addition, Salford have also announced that they will be running a women's team in 2022. What more info do you have on this, Rob? Yeah, fantastic. The, obviously, the club are getting into this uh, community aspect. Obviously, rugby league is for everyone, for, for men and for women. So, for Salford to play, the, to, to have this open-aged uh, sort of Women's rugby club uh, involved in in the in in the the, uh, the rugby league is, is fantastic. Uh, the manager is called Mark Simons. He's a head coach. He's the head coach. He's uh, been around rugby league a lot. He'll know uh, how to coach these ladies in, into a, into a good side. And I think it's important, obviously, because obviously with, with the team uh, they want to be competing week in week out. So. I think he's the perfect man uh, to do that. Also, in the in the local area, uh, there's a Salford and Swinton uh, girls rugby club as well that's been uh, announced this week, uh, James, and they're 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 due to have uh, training sessions that start on the 26th of October in Large Street in Carrizhead at six at six p.m. to seven p.m. Uh, that's from years one to six, which is a uh, high school age, which which, which is like ju- sort of junior school age, which is very good. Obviously, it's all about. Uh, the community and, and obviously investing in the youth because obviously if these girls go through the ranks and progress then eventually uh, they'll end up playing for Salford which is which is what you know everyone wants to see. Do you think there's been a growth in popularity in women's rugby? Certainly I think these the women's super league is going on going great guns uh, at the moment and um, you know We've seen it on Sky these days as well. You know, it's certainly a sport uh, which is growing and I think it's helping the, the world of rugby league as well because obviously with women playing the game, it expands the... Uh, the, the belief and, and, and the knowledge of, of the game. And we, we want to see teams and we want to see fans, don't we, as well, going down to watch the ladies play. And it's important. Obviously, you know, they get the same uh, publicity. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to do that on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. We'll be able to promote uh, Salford's uh, rugby team. Don't forget, Swinton Lions also have a have a, Swin- have a have a women's team as well, which, which is great. So, there'll be hopefully a local derby there to look forward to, James. Most certainly. And you spoke to Ian Blees about what has happened in the off-season. And this is what he had to say. So I'm joined by Ian Blees from Salford Red Devils. Um, how's your off-season been? 
Yeah, it's been it's been quite busy. You don't get much of an off season in this game, mate, as you probably know. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, we've, we've announced a lot of signings so far. Uh, we've still got a couple more to come, so it's been busy. Still still on the outlook as well for a couple more, mate. So busy. Yeah. Yeah, obviously we've had had a big change in the off season with a sort of new coach, Richard Marshall departing. Uh, how's the search going for a, for a new one? Yeah, we, we're filtering through the applications. We've had a good, you know, uh, a surprise on a couple of applications as well. So we're working through them as a club at the moment. Obviously, what's the what's the sort of criteria looking at uh, for, for these people coming in? Well, they've got to have knowledge of the game. Obviously, the ins and outs of the modern game is quite important, and what they want to do with probably similar to what Richie picked up, really a squad that somebody else had built, really, and that's what's uh, that's what's going to happen again this time. Uh, so you need you need a coach who can grasp grasp that and and make sure he wants to put his own stamp on it as well. But obviously, that all the players are not his. Uh, but we can recruit a few more on the back of appointing a new coach hopefully very soon obviously you've signed some sort of new players for, for next season anyone sort of standing out the ones you've announced yeah we've got obviously we've announced Brody Croft who's been a tremendous or will be a tremendous signing hopefully from Australia big big player for us you know similar to what hopefully Jackson did uh, a couple of years ago for us he's got that calibre that class that we've been looking for uh, I'm really pleased to get him over the line then we've got some you know we've got some other good signings that we've announced as well so just generally building up to a good 2022 mate yeah obviously you know we've got plenty more in the pipeline uh, in what kind of areas of the squad do you think we, we need to improve we, we, we need some more forwards some more middles big middles and we've got we've certainly got one that I think we're announcing next week uh, hopefully get another one over the line that I'm working on now for next week so yeah if we get them couple more there probably need another half back we still got you know make a decision on Atta or somebody else yet so we'll, we'll have a good look at that over the next couple of weeks as well how's the the stadium situation going obviously with we're more in more lane in the aj bell sort of decision still to be made there yeah i think there's a lot of work to be done yeah i'm, I'm for all parties really and the club are working hard on that so uh, we'll see where that one goes obviously how's the situation financially for the club obviously with covid and and brexit are we still in a strong position yeah it's been tough you know we're not on our own in that all clubs of all sports clubs have suffered haven't they all businesses have suffered it's been it's been a tough year it's been a tough couple of years uh but the club are, uh, you know we've had some good deals come through on the sponsorship wise uh the, the, back, the back office team are working really well on that so the more that they can do the more obviously we can sign players as a result of doing good commercial deals yeah we've got some good commercial deals in the pipeline as well we, we've announced one is it Serco Builders yes Selco Builders, Builders. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's the situation that is it you know it's a good it's a big name isn't it yeah I think they've signed up for a few years as well and uh, they want to support a community club which is exactly what we are they've moved into the area they're a national company absolutely perfect great fit for Salford yeah obviously season ticket sales how are they going yeah they're doing alright we could do a few few more though and I know there's a bit of uncertainty with the coaches and which ground we're going to but we need the Salford faithful to buy them season tickets otherwise we, you know we don't function as a club and that's well that's well documented so you know I, I appreciate everybody's had had earned money spent on season tickets but we do we do need every single one and make sure that, that we get everybody through the gate obviously we are a community club we've got the structure in place is it difficult to obviously sort of balance that wanting to sort of put a team out there to succeed and also balance the, the books yeah yeah so, so so difficult probably wakes me up every other night uh, <laughs> it, it's a tough one we've got to get the right players to form a good team to make sure we compete at the top you know we don't want to be you know scrapping for like we did last year we want to be up at the top every year but that's not easy on the budget you have to spend sometimes um, there's players available out there who simply can't afford and that's you know that's hard but that's something you just have to accept working at Salford but obviously we try and put the best team we can together the fans need to back us on that every year hopefully that's you know the work we've done over the last few years should help them you know be confident in what we do as a club yeah the Salford Devils Foundation do fantastic stuff in the community um, you know going into the schools and that's a big part of this club and we're hoping to build on that yeah massive 
the, uh, the you know we're about to announce a new pathway we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks supported by the supporters trust so again i would welcome or, or uh, implore everybody to get involved with the supporters trust it's a small membership fee but it's, it's going to pay a lot of the pathway stuff that we're bringing in we're bringing some new faces into the club we'll have a great structure right from under 14s level right through to the reserves team so i'm going to announce that in the next couple of weeks we're really excited about that yeah it's a sort of a massive thing for our club obviously getting that pathway because uh, that's what the, you know fans and, and sort of players believe in obviously you can see sort of a, a sort of a way to go to get to the first team makes everyone believe doesn't it yeah that doesn't come easy you've got to work hard at that youth level and we've got the right people on board hopefully in the next few weeks and we'll announce it but it's really important to me to get the local kids involved and obviously playing for the local team which is us and obviously you've got another team there Swinton as well but I'm happy for everybody to play rugby league rather than football but it's just making sure we get into them schools and colleges and make sure they know about us yeah you've got to link up with it switch jets as well uh, tell us a bit about that yeah, it was, I went to visit in Australia about the uh, end of 2019, met the chairman of Ipswich Jets and we just talked for ages in the car. We were travelling up to Brisbane Broncos at the time. It was really good uh, and we decided to do a partnership where it'll give opportunities for our players, young players coming through to go over there and play, obviously in a different country and grow as a person and as a human being and that's what I want to do with some of our players. Uh, so hopefully that'll work both ways as well But and they're, and they're putting a bid in for the NRL, new licence as well. So it'll be int- really interesting to see how they do but it's a good partnership. Yeah, opportunity Love gives opportunities and that's what it's all about yeah massive and we've got the welch partnership as well rob so we're really pleased with what we're doing with the welch kids down there uh, we're going to get another guy on board working alongside us with that as well and then there's another one in the pipeline that we've got from another nation as well so that'll be really interesting i think we're doing the right things the foundations are starting to come yeah. together after so many years now it's going to be a really interesting time for the club uh, obviously the fans out there sort of listening to this when do we see sort of the fruits of your labor when I came back to the club, well, it was five years ago now. I said it'd be a ten-year plan. We're five years into that. Yeah. And when Marwan left, it was a big disappointment, obviously, because the money dried up a little bit there as well. But we've worked hard to, to get that back. The board have really worked really hard. We've got some great people involved in the club now, and slowly but surely, you can see the right people getting involved at the right level. Uh, <clears throat> I want to see. I've always said it. I want to see five kids in, in in the first team in five years. So that's my ambition. That's what drives me. Hopefully, in five years time, we'll have five local lads turning out on that pitch for the first team. That'll be my dream come true. Are we where you thought we would be five years ago? <laughs> uh, yeah well you know obviously we've been to two major finals we've yeah. not won we've not won anything so let's not get giddy we've still got work to do on that we've got to get the right team the right coaching staff uh you know when when i came back five years ago if you said we'd have been to a grand final and challenge cover i snapped your hand off obviously of course you know we've got great experience there now embedded within the club uh, and you've got the players who want to come to us now as a result of the getting to them finals so everything we do is right for the for the club uh, so I'm looking forward to the future mate yeah big thanks John is on the sports only and uh, enjoy your off season brilliant thanks Rob Ian talks about signing Brodie Croft and improving the squad how does that sound to you Rob yeah he's a, he's a top top player James and obviously in the off season we haven't as we speak we haven't got a coach but he's out there doing deals with, with agents to bring the best players in. And, and I think, obviously, last season under Richard Marshall was a bit of a speed bump. The two seasons before got us to a grand final and a Challenge Cup final. So you're hoping this group of players can find the form of the last two years ago and, and get us back to a major final or a playoffs. And that's what this club needs, James. It needs to be competing in the playoffs every season. If we want to be able to grow as a club and the people of Salford want to see success. They've had years of being starved uh, of success. Last uh, 
Challenge Cup victory was uh, 1934. Last time they got to a Challenge Cup final was 1969. So they, they kind of need something to grip on. Yep, they've got to a, a Challenge a Grand Final a couple of years ago at Old Trafford. They got to a, a Challenge Cup final uh, a year after that. But it's about getting over that final hurdle, James, and winning something. If we can be successful and get in the playoffs and compete in the sort of the last uh, rounds of the Challenge Cup over the next sort of five years, that will hopefully change the perception of our great club. And then people will want to come and watch Salford and uh, obviously allow the uh, the uh, the tills to run, uh, you know, loud in the in the club. You mentioned there that Salford Red Devils fans have been completely starved of success, you know, over the last few decades. But in recent times, they've massively improved. They've been flirting with silverware and they've been playing really, really well. Do you see Salford maintaining that or could they potentially go back into the dark ages that they've been in? You're in a real crossroads here, James, truth be told. And you're hoping, that, you know, Paul King and Ian Blaze can find players uh, to keep us at the very top. I've always said that Salford Devils are an opportunity club and that is what we are. We bring opportunities to players who want to play at the top level and it's up to us to find the players who are standout players. The likes of Jackson Hastings, who were with us for them sort of couple of seasons of our good success uh, don't come out every time and you will get a varied success rate um, but you're hoping we can we can find that same formula again uh, and and go and reach the heights of the we did over the last sort of three three years season ticket sales are going really well and how important is it for fans of Salford to still support the side it's so important, James, because you, you need the community to, to be to be behind uh, the rugby club, and it's we we sit here and we talk about Salford Red Devils to the community every week, and um, they will be listening to this this radio station on this show, and hopefully fell in love with what we have to say because this team represents you. And that's that's the bit that is so important. As someone who was born in Salt of Salford and lived in Salford most of his life, this team is sort of it's it's an embeddement of what being a Salford Salfordian is all about. So hopefully, people will be listening to this and want to invest their time into the club and the team, and that's when they're going to gain success in the future. I mean, Rob, you're obviously selling the idea of how important it is to get to the games to support Salford. What is the ride like as a Salford Red Devils fan and why is it important for fans to go on? Why should they support the club? It's a real roller coaster, James. That that is that is what when you follow a club, you want to the ups and the downs that make it. We've had a few downs, but and we've we've tasted sort of success in the last sort of few years. If I was listening to me now on the on the uh, on the radio, I'd be thinking, I know I'll jump on now while we're we're still building that success. We got to a grand uh, grand final two years ago, three years ago at Old Trafford, and twenty five thousand Salford fans took over Old Trafford. That's the potential that this club has, and the people of Salford tasted it that day. They saw, you know, a good team and they saw a following that which could possibly happen every week. I urge in the people of Salford who are listening to this, just get behind your team, get behind them, buy your season ticket. And the likes of Ian Blees and Paul King, who are master tacticians, master businessmen, will mould this club into a team that's going to win. According to the manager, it's a 10-year plan to develop the club on and off the field. Do you see that as being correct, Rob? 
I do, I do, James. He, he talks about when he came in and and how the cha- how the club's changed, and I, I do agree with him that you know we still have um, you know a way to go. But from where we were five years ago, we've made massive progress uh, in the community and on on the field. So we just need that that success to continue, and I'm I'm totally confident the likes of Paul King and Ian Blees can deliver that. They will bring a coach in who will agree with the philosophy, will have that work rate like they do to drive the team forward and then he can then attract the players to to, 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 to let us do the job. So when you look at that 10-year period that's coming up now, do you think Soulful will have a straight trajectory right to the top of the league or do you think there'll be some bumps in the road? Oh, there'll be bumps, James. It's not, it's not If it wasn't, you know, there's always bumps with Salford. But that's the, that's the part that makes you fall in love with them because you can have good days and you can have bad days. But as long as you have more good days than bad days, you're all right. Historically, we've, not, we've had a few bad days and the good days didn't come along very often. But in the last sort of three to five years, James, we've had a few weeks of good days and that and that's that's the important thing. And I, and I think we're going to get better. Last season, yeah, was a, for me, was a bit of a blip in the road. Um, but from, you know, next season onward, hopefully with a new coach and uh, players who, uh, you know, want to play and want to succeed, uh, is only way, there's only one way this club's going to go and it's up. That sounds very exciting, Rob, and I most certainly hope that you're right. But Toulouse have been promoted to the Super League. And how do you think that'll have an effect on the league? Yeah, interesting times, obviously. Toulouse and, and Catalan Dragons, both in France uh, with European Super League. I think it was the dream uh, for the Super League when it was first started to have teams in different countries. And it becomes more mar- marketable for the Super League. There's more audience figures available through Sky. Um, I'm hoping it'll grow the league. Expansion is a, is a good thing because obviously we want this sport to grow further than the M62 and the likes of Toulouse and Catalan and the likes of London when they when, when if they ever get back into the Super League grows our sport it makes the pie bigger and then if you get a bigger slice of the pie then that helps the uh, the club grow it helps the business grow behind the club and it helps the community as well you see because obviously if we're involved in a bigger project and obviously when you're involved in sponsoring the club it means you're profile is is growing is growing as well so it's important obviously the likes of Toulouse get their opportunity in, in Super League um and we'll have to wait and see hopefully you know, the match last the season be gone but I think Toulouse have a very good team they've got some good players down there and, and a lot and a lot of the, the crowd down there as well been going for a long time Toulouse they've had a few failed um, missions trying to get into Super League but they've finally got over the line now James so it's an uh, opportunity knocks for the uh the uh, Olympic to lose. No, certainly. Now moving on to the world of ice hockey and Manchester Storm have two fixtures this week. What are they, Rob? Yeah, Manchester Storm are at home to Belfast Giants and then they're away to Cardiff um, Devils. Two good sides, Belfast and Cardiff. Um, Ryan Finney is men will need to be at their best to get a result uh, this weekend. But I have confidence in this team. Uh, the likes of Dallas Earhart's and Ginn in goal. Uh, they've got some good players there, James. And and if they start to fire, then, you know, Manchester Storm will will set a few tank- tongues wagging in this uh, EHFL. So you're kind of hoping that Ryan Finney's men 
can pick up a win against these two and put a put a message out there. I mean, you're hoping that Ryan Finity's men can get the win, but they've been struggling recently. Is pressure beginning to mount on the manager? I think there's a bit of pressure, eh, James. Obviously, the farm has been great. Um, questions have been asked off the off the ice about you know the tactics and what's going on, and yeah, you, you, you are, there is a bit of a worry. But Ryan Finney is an experienced coach. He knows what has to what he has to do to create a good side. He's been at Manchester Storm now for five years. He's he's built this team into a good side. So I think the the tide will turn. He'll start picking up wins, and that'll project that'll sort of project um, Manchester Storm up the league. And that's what us you know Storm fans want. They want success. They want to be competing at the top of the top of the table, don't they, James? So you're kind of hoping uh, that we can. You know, we find a few wins, get up the leagues, and then when playoff time comes later in the season, we can be there or thereabouts, and uh, we'll see what happens then. Well, I definitely hope that you're right, Rob. Now we're going to move on to the boxing, and I think you've got some questions for me. Yeah, this review's come a tad late due to scheduling issues, James. But two weeks ago, we witnessed one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time as the final chapter of Tyson Fiona, Deontay Wilder trilogy, came to an end. I'll be honest with you, Rob. The emotion I'm feeling right now is just an overwhelming sense of relief. And going into this third fight with Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder, I was extremely worried. And people thought I was mad because Fury absolutely walked through the bronze bomber last time out. But I knew things would be different. For one, Wilder was expecting Fury to walk at him. He was prepared for it. He'd piled on the weight. He'd had months and months and months of focusing on a game plan and he was so determined to get the victory that there was a chance that maybe, combined with Malik Scott, he could figure out a way to do it. And on the other hand, Tyson Fury, as I speculated, wasn't in the correct condition. He'd had a terrible camp. His daughter had been extremely ill in hospital and that'd be, that'd be enough to offset absolutely any fighter. So I knew it wasn't going to be good coming in. And when we stepped foot into the ring and we saw both men... It was instantaneously noticeable that Tyson Fury wasn't in fighting fit shape. But when you're as talented as the Gypsy King, you just seem to find a way to win, don't you? Because he was incredible. Yes, not at his best, but even still, he was able to defeat the heaviest puncher in boxing history. Deontay Wilder, an absolute warrior. He couldn't have been any better. It was just a case of a great world champion being beaten by one of the best fighters of all time in Tyson Fury. I thought Wilder's jab in the first round was excellent. He was finding the right hand. But ultimately, Fury's know-how, Fury's skill, Fury's pedigree, Fury's inside fighting ability. And let's face it, his weight was enough to mould Deontay Wilder to tire him out. And when he got the knockdown in the third, I think a lot of us thought, this is all over. Tyson Fury has just battered Wilder in a career-best performance. But then... Fury got a little bit complacent and Deontay Wilder dropped him with two massive right hands. And then we were like, oh my word, because none of us have ever seen Tyson Fury's legs go before. He's gone down in fights, but I've never seen him that badly wobbled. And he had to use all his heart and determination to see it through. Fury, of course, then rallied back and eventually took over the fight. And although Deontay Wilder had moments and spells in the fight where it looked like maybe he could come back into it, Fury was on top and ultimately... In the 11th round, he found that sweet knockout punch to lay Deontay Wilder 
out on the canvas. But this was an extremely exciting fight, Rob. Wilder never stopped throwing, never stopped trying. And it was two men that gave absolutely everything. And it was the perfect way to shut the book and finish this trilogy, to finish this chapter of Tyson Fury's career. I don't know what's next. But I hope that we both look back on Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder and recognise them for the amazing fighters that they are. If the third fight had never happened, I think people would have wrote Deontay Wilder off as a one-punch knockout artist. And yes, he's made all sorts of excuses, and it's been a little bit embarrassing, but he showed everybody he's got a warrior's heart. And these two men are the best of their era, and it was an absolute privilege watching them in the ring with each other. But ultimately, it's Tyson Fury who reigns supreme. Was this the perfect way to close the book on this rivalry? Most certainly, Rob. It was an amazing fight. I mean, watching it live, I don't think I've ever seen a more entertaining heavyweight fight because Deontay Wilder, with his extreme punching power, was never, ever out. In the second fight, Fury completely took over, didn't he? And it looked like Wilder didn't have a single answer, whereas this time, that right hand always seemed close to landing. And every time he threw it, you feared for Tyson. And he rocked Tyson a few times in that fight. And I was never able to relax for any second. I just wanted Tyson to lean all over him, to tire him out, to gas him out so he could finally get on top. Because Wilder is dangerous for every single second. And it just showed it doesn't matter how tired that man is. He's still the biggest puncher in world boxing. And how Tyson Fury got up, I will never know. It was incredible that he managed to rise to his feet on two occasions because the legs were gone. It was an exciting fight. It was a great fight. And these two men have defined their era. Let's not forget Deontay Wilder, all those years ago, picking up the world title against Bermain Stavern and making 10 defences of it. And he wasn't always pretty, was he, Rob? He's been uncoordinated, he's been reckless, but he always found a way to win. And as we've always said about Deontay Wilder, his opponents have to be perfect for 36 minutes. He just has to be perfect for one second. And he proved that over and over and over again. And he was perfect. Twice he dropped Tyson Fury, but the Gypsy King did what no other man has been able to and rose back to his feet and ended up winning the fight. It was incredible. It was entertaining. And the two of them Yes, they're not showing respect to each other right now. Tyson attempted to reconcile with Wilder and the Bronze Bomber wasn't interested because of these ridiculous excuses that he's got. But hope in someday they learn to become friends because they've shared something special in the boxing ring and it was a privilege to watch. How does their life, their rivalry compare to other sort of fighters' uh, rivalry? It's the Muhammad Ali, Joe Fraser of our era. Hmm. It, it, it's as simple as that. I mean... Those two men, when you look back at it years and years ago, define their era. And Muhammad Ali is now recognised as one of the greatest of all time. And it's purely because he had a fantastic dance partner in Joe Fraser and George Foreman as well. But if we're talking trilogies here, that's the one we've got to focus on. And when we now reflect on Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, what would Tyson Fury be without the Bronze Bomber? Yes, you'd have the Klitschko win, but you need a dance partner. And Deontay Wilder... Was that dance part? Deontay Wilder absolutely defines that rise back from Fury. I think we can all remember him weighing in at 300 or so pounds running when everybody said he was completely out of the sport. And he's saying, Deontay Wilder, I'm coming back for you, Dosser. I'm coming back for you. And a lot of people didn't believe it. They didn't believe he could come back. But all the lead up for his fights, the ones with Safari, the ones with Pianetta, where he didn't look great, it was all leading up to that battle with Deontay Wilder. And in 2018, when that fight was announced, we were all terrified. We all thought Tyson's taken this too early. Deontay Wilder's too big a puncher. He's not ready. 
And he went in at the Staples Centre in Los Angeles and put on a sublime performance, getting robbed on the scorecards, completely outboxing Wilder, but ultimately going down twice to that amazing power from the Bronze Bomber. And that fight was extremely exciting. This second bout between the pair, again, exciting. Fury completely dismantling Wilder. And then in the third fight, we had an absolute war. So the three fights have been completely different to one another. They've all been entertaining in their own right. And yeah... Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, the Muhammad Ali and Joe Fraser of their era. Incredible. And I hope people remember them for a long time to come because they're both special fighters. What was going through your head when uh, Fury went down? No. No, Tyson. No. <laughs> I can't believe you've done it. Why have you been complacent? Why have you walked onto a right hand? I was begging him just to stay calm, just to lean on Wilder. And it's so frustrating because when he gets hurt, he just fires back, doesn't he? He doesn't hold on. So you, you're just in this position of being terrified. And one of the most terrifying things about Deontay Wilder is that he telegraphs that right hand. So as a fan, you can always see it coming. You're thinking, please, Tyson, don't let it land. But it landed twice. A few was able to get up. And the second his legs went, I was terrified because that's never happened to Fury before. He's always had control of his base when he's been knocked down. And when he rose, that clearly wasn't there. And in the round after, he was still on rubber legs. And we're very, very lucky as Fury fans, that that came at the end of the round. Because let's not joke about, if it had been any longer that round, and Deontay Rada lands another right hand, it's finito. The fight's over. So we were lucky in that regard. I was terrified when Fury get down, but luckily he was able to rise past it. Fury's been down six times in his career, and Ramaka got up to win every time. How much longer can he do this, James? I mean, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day. Tyson Fury is a once-in-a-lifetime athlete. I can't think of another fighter who rises in weight so often to ridiculous amounts, to like 400 pounds, who's gone through depression, who's gone through alcohol abuse, who's gone through cocaine abuse, who's gone through wars. I mean, not even recently with Deontay Wilder and Otto Wallen as well, but back in the day with the likes of John McDermott, Steve Cunningham, Nevin Pikic, Derek Chisora in the first time. How many years, how many times can you go to that well? How many dips has Fury got left where he can find something in the tank? Because no fighter can do this forever. Eventually, that fantastic chin that Tyson Fury's going to get, that, that he has, it's going to go. It's going to fade. But it didn't fade on Saturday night. He was able to get the victory. And now we look at what's next, Rob. And whether it's Usyk, White or Joshua, the first thing that we need to focus on is that Tyson Fury needs to be in shape. Because he can't rock up to these fights with those men in the shape he was on Saturday night. He needs to be in a better condition, and that's what he needs to focus on the most. Because if he doesn't start treating his body with respect, he's eventually going to come unstuck. Because no matter how talented you are, hard work always beats talent. Wilder's made plenty of excuses, but do you respect him for his amazing heart? Look, Wilder's excuses have been absolutely disgusting, from accusing Fury of drug, uh, from uh, of glove tampering to accusing his trainer of spiking his water, to actually coming out with the idea that his suit was too heavy for him in the ring water. The whole thing's been absolutely ridiculous. And the fact that he genuinely believes these excuses just shows how deluded he is. And I suppose going into the fight, you could have looked at it two ways. One being, oh, he's not accepted the defeat, so he's not going to try and do anything different. And then there's the other of, maybe he needs to be deluded. Maybe he needs to convince himself he was cheated, so he still believes in himself, because... 
if he just thinks that Fury beat him fair and square, maybe his confidence would be an all-time low. So I don't really know. But in terms of his fighting heart, yeah, massively. Deontay Wilder never, ever, ever gives up. And opposed to common belief, he's got a fantastic chin. People accused him after the Eric Molina moment of maybe having a suspect jaw, but that's not the case at all. He took so many blows from Tyson Fury, and he was out on his feet throughout the majority of the fight and still kept it entertaining, still kept firing back. And I have massive, massive respect for the warrior that is Deontay Wilder. But it is a massive shame that he wasn't able to give Tyson Fury respect for the win. Where does Tyson Fury go from here, James? There's three fights, Rob, that make sense. Number one, Alexander Usyk, the man who has the three other belts in the heavyweight division, a fantastic fighter, an absolute boxing genius. And as I said to Paul the other week, I couldn't think of anything better than seeing the pair of them in the boxing ring Two men who present unsolvable puzzles and they both have to attempt to figure each other out. I think it'd be fantastic. Then there's the monster matchup with Anthony Joshua, the two biggest fighters in arguably British boxing history in terms of fame. And I think that'd be an absolute cracker. And then you've got Dillian White, the huge grudge match. Two men there who give it their all every single time they step foot in the ring. And I don't know which fight's going to happen. I'm going to assume it's Dillian White. But Rob, I'm going to ask you as a more casual fan of boxing, is there one of those three fights that appeals to you right off the cuff? Joshua, for sure, because everyone seems to be talking about it and the two greats of the boxing world coming together would put you know, a big spotlight on boxing. And for someone like me, who's a kind of casual boxing observer, I know both fighters and I know they're both British and I know it'll be... a uh, an unbelievable spectacle and uh, it'll be well worth watching. But I was going to ask that question, James, is the, is it a diff? is it, or is it legacy or career that, that uh, Tyson Fury has to decide in these, between these three fighters? It's difficult because if he beats Alexander Usyk, he's the undisputed world champion. And right now, without a shadow of a doubt, Alexander Usyk is the biggest test because he's just absolutely dismantled Anthony Joshua but he doesn't carry that star power that Joshua does. I mean, you've just said yourself there that you'd rather see Fury fight Joshua, despite the fact that he's just been beaten. And that shows how big a name Anthony Joshua is. And despite the loss to Joshua, that fight still makes mega, mega, mega millions. It's still the biggest fight in the heavyweight division. But I think when you look at the career of Tyson Fury, there's only three fights left for him, and it has to be one of those three names. But also as a fan, I'm thinking, should Tyson Fury just retire? What more does the man have to prove? He's done absolutely everything there is to do in boxing. And let's say he beats Alexander Usyk, he beats Joshua, he beats White. By that point, Joe Joyce has come through. Tony Yuka's come through. Jared Anderson's come through. And then they're the next big fights. There's never an end of conveyor belt of fighters coming through. So for me, Tyson Fury, it doesn't matter when he retires. There'll always be calls for him to fight somebody else. So you have to pick your time. And for me, Tyson Fury, 34 years of age, a lot of miles on the clock. He's coming off a massive career best win. I think it's time to call it a day now. Personally, I know that's controversial because people want to see the Usyk fights. They want to see the White fights. They want to see the AJ fights. But I think he should call it a day now. James, people will lose their minds if uh, Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury don't get together eventually. Even though, obviously, we... The Rocks in World wanted them both to have titles so we could have one big, uh, you know, joint party where everyone gets together and the winner takes all. But this 
fight between Joshua and Tyson Fury. It's just it's just a profile, and it's it's a bigger thing. And I'm sure, like you say, there's only so many sort of fights that uh, Tyson Fury's got left in his tank. And f- for somebody who's outside this boxing uh, sort of world looking in, if that boxing fight never takes place, then you'll be thinking. Why? Yeah, it's difficult because Joshua is, of course, coming off a loss, but it doesn't really matter. No. He's such a big name that the casual fan will be right into this, stuck into this. And ultimately, at the end of the day, stales make fights, Rob. Mm. Anthony Joshua hits harder than Tyson Fury, and he's more coordinated than Deontay Wilder. Obviously, Fury goes in the favourite without a shadow of a doubt, but you just never know. There's always that hint of doubt, and I think the fight would sell to the masses, most certainly. And Rob... England is, of course, a massive sporting country. We've had massive, massive moments on in so many different sports. I mean, the 1966 World Cup in football, the 2003 Rugby World Cup. We've won Olympic gold medals in so many different sports. We've had massive boxing events. The best darts player in the history is from England in Phil Taylor. Michael Bisping, a UFC champion. Uh, Lewis Hamilton in F1. I know he's Scottish, but Andy Murray in the world of tennis. We've got so many big sporting characters, Rob. But where would a fight with Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua rank for you amongst the best English sporting moments? Oh, it'd have to be up there, James, wouldn't it? Because of all the all the drama, all the you know the the pantomime uh, behind it, all the you know the drama, and I really do think it'd be a crowning moment for for English sport. Um, everyone would would watch it on the telly. Uh, I remember uh, Ricky Hatton uh, fighting Matt Pacquiao a few years ago, and that was all over. People were staying up all night watching that, and it was what everyone, what everyone was talking about. Even people who had no idea about boxing, and I think it'd be that kind of thing that you know we we, we that people want to see. And I'm really hoping um, that that they can get together. I know it's all about the money, James. I know that obviously promoters want to get the best for the the fighter, but. If you're listening out there and you're listening to to average Joe boxing fan like me, I want to see Joshua and Fiore slug it out uh, and then and to to be, to be the best in Britain and that's uh, that's that'll be something to watch. Yeah, definitely, Rob. I mean, you mentioned the Hat and Pacquiao fight there, and it was an absolutely monstrous. But mm. we've not seen an all British fight on this level. We've had big British names, of course. We have Ricky Hatton was massive and his fight with Mayweather and his fight with Pacquiao did huge businesses. But Pacquiao's from the Philippines and Mayweather's yeah. from the States. This is a matchup between two of the biggest names, not only in the sport of boxing, but in British sport as a whole. Yeah, I'm not, I, I don't know. Uh, did not Bruno and Lennox Lewis have a fight once? They did, they did, and it was absolutely massive. And we can sort of recreate a moment like that. I think, yeah, maybe on an even bigger scale. It would be something like that, James. It would be a, an amazing thing, and I'm just hoping that it can get, it can get sort of together because that's what we need in, in England now. We need this excitement. And if uh, forget it, that Anthony Joshua's not got a title to fight for. He's fighting to be the best in Britain. Um, so we'll, if he wants a belt, we'll we'll, we'll make one for him. Um, talk us through the undercard, James. Was there excitement there as well? Yeah, there was, Rob. I mean, in the co-main event, we had Frank Sanchez and Efra Jagba. Not the greatest of fights. Sanchez schooling the Nigerian, as I think many of us suspected he would. And he's showing a good degree of talent here. So I think Sanchez could go on to do a bit in the heavyweight division. And then we had a rematch between Adam Kanaki and Robert Hellenius. And going into that first fight, Robert Hellenius was well and truly written off. I mean, he'd had big losses 
to Dillian White and Gerard Washington. And I personally thought it was finished. Whereas Adam Kanaki was on a real roll. He beat Artis Pilker. He beat Charles Martin. He beat Gerald Washington, who ironically, as I mentioned there, beat Hellenius. And he was one fight away, it seemed, from getting a world title shot. So most of us expected it to be a comfortable win for Hellenius. And when that fight was announced, I think the bulk of us were disappointed because we wanted to see the Polish man in a better fight. And then to the shock of all of us, Hellenius knocks Kanaki out. And I think a lot of us put it down to a fluke. Maybe Kanaki wasn't in the right headspace. Maybe he wasn't motivated. His body didn't look in great condition. So going into the rematch, I think, again, we all picked Kanaki. And the bookies picked Kanaki. And the commentary team and the pundits all picked Kanaki. But we were proven wrong again as Robert Hellenius absolutely dismantled him. It was power shot after power shot after power shot. And it was getting uncomfortable, to be quite frank, by the end. It wasn't nice to watch. And the ref pulled Kanaki out and gave him a disqualification due to low blows. Which I think was a fair enough call. He'd warned him. And Kanaki clearly wasn't coming back in the fight. He was committing fouls. And I think it was the right decision from the referee to disqualify the poll. Hellenius has got himself right back in the mix, though. And he'll be extremely proud of himself. At 38 years of age, he's having a bit of an Indian summer his career. And he's got to enjoy it, I think. And then we move slightly down the card to Jared Anderson, a heavyweight who a lot of us had heard rumours about because he'd apparently dropped Tyson Fury in sparring and how he's the big man coming through. He's gone to 10-0. He defeated an undefeated Russian opponent in a big win. And then lastly, we had Edgar Belanger on the card, scraping his way to victory. Did he win the fight? I'm not entirely sure, but it was entertaining. And then, of course, J-Rock uh, had a, a shocking loss as well. So overall, a good card out in Las Vegas. There was also a fantastic main event in Liverpool at the same night. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, there was. Liam Smith versus Anthony Fowler. And on paper, I think we all picked Liam Smith, didn't we? He was going to be too tough, too resilient, too experienced. But in the early going, Anthony Fowler showed that he does have legitimate world-level talent. He was throwing a beautiful jab, and he rocked Liam Smith. And he also rocked him in the third round as well. So for a bit, Anthony Fowler was looking like he was on top, despite some controversial commentary from Andy Lee, who in general I think is a good pundit, but I think he got it wrong on the night. But Liam Smith gradually wore Fowler down, used every element of heart and experience and pedigree to grind down his scouse opponent in the Liverpool derby. And he came away with the win. The Liverpool crowd went home happy. And who knows where he goes next? There's rumours of a fight with Jesse Vargas, which I think will be a big one out in the States. There was a good fight coming up in America this weekend, James. Talk us through that. There is. Jamel Herring takes on Secure Stevenson, and I'm really looking forward to this one. Herring, of course, coming off a career-best win against Carl Frampton, stopping him out in the United Arab Emirates in a great, great performance. He's taking on Shakur Stevens, who's rising up the ranks very quickly and is considered a future star in the sport of boxing, a former world champion in his own right. But this is his first real, real test. Jamal Herring is a legitimate world champion, a former Marine, a tough man, and it's one I'm most certainly looking forward to, Rob. Yeah, and there's uh, lots to look forward to in the world of boxing, James. But now we're going to be talking football. Uh, and we'll start with Man United, James. They play Atalanta on Wednesday in the Champions League. Test for all his men. Yeah, it definitely is. But hopefully after the Villarreal victory and Ronaldo bagging one in the last minute, hopefully we've hit a little bit of form now in the Champions League and we can beat Atlanta fairly comfortably. They're a decent side, Rob, but I don't see them posing us too many problems. I think with Champions League... Uh, James, it's important that Ole picks up these kind of wins because 
if you're going to struggle to beat Atalanta at home, that makes qualification difficult. So Man United teams of old, the Fergie years, we'd go and beat teams like this easy at home and then nick the ones away and that's how we progress. Can you see Ollie's team doing something similar? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in the Sir Alex Ferguson era, we just found ways to win, didn't we? And I think mm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's got a similar sort of mentality that he's slowly but surely trying to embed in the players. And with results like we got against Villarreal, we do get last-minute goals now. And I do see us winning this Atlanta game. I know we've had some poor performances so far this season, but I'm not quite on the get Ollie out wheel yet. I still want him to be our manager. And do you feel the same? Yeah, I agree with that, James. I think he's he's doing a good job at Manchester United. The problems at Manchester United don't uh, will get fixed by Ollie eventually. But to speed up that process, he needs to be backed by the people above him. And you're hoping the Glazers can put the money in the pockets, take the money out of the pockets, keeping the money in the pockets has been the problem, James. Taking the money out of the pocket and giving him money to spend. Like I said, last week, week before, probably week before that, Man United's problems are defensive midfield. In that midfield area, they lack quality. If the Glazers can go and give Ole 60, 70 million quid to go and buy a Kante or somebody of that ilk in Europe to, to plug that gap, we suddenly become a contender both domestically and abroad. Yeah, we do, Rob. And you mentioned, hey, you were talking about chairman. And this is something we have to talk about because it's one of the biggest stories in world sport. Yeah. Is Newcastle mm. have become the richest club in world football. Massive, massive money coming in from the new chairman. Newcastle now could potentially take over the Premier League. They've got the money to blow absolutely every club out the water. I mean, PSG, Manchester City have done big business in recent times with the amount of money that they have. But Newcastle are on a completely another level now. And could they become the leading force in world football? I couldn't write them off because the way the game has changed in recent times, you can buy success nowadays. You most certainly can. I see them being one of the biggest clubs in world football because they've got the money to do it. They can just drag over whichever and whoever player they like. This is going to be big. It is going to be big, James. Is it good for football? Probably not because money drives it forward and the rich get richer. But looking at it as a human point of view, Newcastle United have are a stereotypical sleeping giant. I think they won the first cup in 1974 and that's about it. The passionate fans, 50,000 50, fans turn up every week at St. James's. It is a religion. So if you're going to pick a team out of the whole of the world of football that deserve a crack at success, for me, it would be Newcastle United. Very passionate fans. And yeah, we've, we've got to look at the, you know, the certain things the owners do in, 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 the, in their own country and, and how that affects you know the view of Newcastle United. But for me... You can't really, you shouldn't really mix politics and football. Sport is sport, politics is politics. And for me, I think people should just be looking at Newcastle United, the sports team, not who owns them. It's difficult, isn't it? Because money is becoming football now. Hmm. The game is simply a business. And to a lot of these chairmen, the fans are just commodities. And a lot of people have criticised Manchester City over years for the fact that they've just bought success. But I don't think it's fair to blame Manchester City fans for enjoying that success. Mm. And despite the fact that there's some controversial nature around these Newcastle chairmen, I don't think you can blame the Newcastle fans for enjoying the ride they're about to go on. 
Not at all, James. You, if, as a supporter, if somebody comes and buys your club uh, and and brings in quality players and produces a brilliant team and you go and win things and experience things you never thought you'd, that you would following a team. That is what it's all about. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I remember Salford Devils, my team, where it was taken over by uh, Marwan Kukash, a multi-millionaire who threw his money about and it never quite happened. I know rugby league and football are two separate sports, both sort of in different poles apart when it comes to money. So money doesn't always guarantee success. But obviously with these Newcastle owners, there's lots and lots and lots of money. So if you don't get it right the first time, you might get it right the second time or the third time. The, the question you've got to ask yourself, James, is how long will it take them to find a way to make Newcastle United one of the biggest clubs in Europe? We obviously know with Man City, it took them a while to, to get going. And now they are showing that they are what what eventually after a lot of money a lot of hard work can create but how long will it think it'll take Newcastle to repeat that success I mean Manchester City it took them a few years and now they're one of the massive forces in world football but the money difference between Manchester City and Newcastle is absolutely astronomical and I know that City have absolutely bags of money but Newcastle blow them into another dimension I mean, and I know maybe the area isn't quite as lucrative and maybe they don't quite have the drawing power of a London or a Manchester, but I still see the money that they're going to offer to these elite players being ridiculous because they can pay whatever they want. They can pay the wages, however much the players request. And I think within five years, they're one of the biggest teams in England and I think they'll win the league within five years. But also the fact that they can help the community by, obviously, these players might have footballers' wives who want to be seen in London, you know, shopping at the top shops, drinking in the top pubs. But Newcastle, you've been to Newcastle, it's a very good night out, let's be fair. But shopping-wise, it's probably not the same as, uh, you know, as, as London in the main street. So, you know, being a top of footballing world might attract shops to go up to Newcastle, which then solves that problem, to be fair. If you're saying these Newcastle owners are as rich as you say they are, they could probably just buy the shops and, and just run them themselves. So, you, 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 well, it will be interesting, like you say, whether it'll take them, for, you know, three years, five years. Uh, but it's going to be interesting. But I've, as a as a people person who looks in from the outside, these Newcastle fans have suffered for long enough. And uh, as long as they don't win the league every year, James, as long as Man United win the league more times than they do in a ten year cycle, then I'll be happy with that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's not like Manchester City have complete dominance over the Premier League. I mean, Liverpool won it, a cup, uh, won it last season and Manchester United is still in the mix. Chelsea is still in the mix. So it's not like it's a foregone conclusion, but Newcastle will well and truly be up there. But I think it's fair to say right now that Steve Bruce's job is well and truly in danger. You'd say so, James, because obviously if you're going to build a football club and a brand, you need a top manager. The likes of Jose Mourinho, somebody who is a name. Is Jose the answer? I'd probably say no. But there'll be somebody out there um, like uh, Ronald Koeman or a Martinez uh, from Belgium. Someone like that who is top draw coach who can then attract top 
draw players because they want to play for a top draw coach. And that's where the money comes in because they can go to said coach and say, look, is twenty million quid, and he's he's on the uh, he's on the he's on the in the car in the plane up straight up to Newcastle. Isn't he? So we'll leave to see who they pick to to start off this project. Because obviously, it, with uh, with these kind of project, James, it might be a slow build. They've said they're in this for the long term. They're not in this for a quick success. So this coach, whoever it might be, might not be the coach that they think is going to take them to the very top. It just might be a coach that transitions them from bottom to middle to top, middle to top, maybe. Exactly. I mean, they need a big name manager, don't they? And I think they'll mm. get one of the biggest about. It's, it simply feels, Rob, for me, that it's just a matter of time. And it's mental to say, because a year ago, we would not pick Newcastle to win a Champions League in five years' time. No. And that is very, very possible. But moving on, there's a massive game for Manchester United coming up this weekend. They're playing Liverpool... And that's a massive talking point, isn't it? Do you think we'll get the win there? Yeah, it's it's always a big game. Uh, Man United v Liverpool, Old Trafford. Uh, the passion, the commitment to the cars, the history. Both sides now competing at the very top of, of the Premier League and in Europe. The whole world watches when Manchester United and Liverpool thrash it out. It's the M62, it's the East Lanks, it's everything and more. And as a United fan, there's only one team you really want to beat, and it's Liverpool. And we'll sit down on Sunday uh, and, and want them to beat them that badly because they say the same for us, they feel the same way. Uh, and that's what football's all about, James. And that is why we're, we, we tune in uh, to these games because it, it's all the drama and all the fantasy behind it. Do you have a score prediction, Rob? My score prediction, James, I recommend United will win uh, 2-1. I'm thinking 2-1 uh, and I'm thinking Cavani uh, for the winner. What about you? I feel similar. I think it'll be a 2-1 victory. And how do you think Ronaldo will adapt to his first humongous game back in England? It will be a test for him because obviously, you know, in the big games, big players put on big performances and like like I said before, everyone's going to tune in and expect Ronaldo to be fit, to be firing and to score goals. But Liverpool know this as well and they will set up their stall to disrupt him and not let him play. Can they do it? Can Ronaldo find a way to, to turn the old magic on and beat the old enemy? We'll have to wait and see. And Manchester City have a game against Brighton. They're away from a long day out for them and on paper they should win this but Brighton are doing a lot better this season than most people expected yeah it's a, it's a difficult place to go uh, Brighton the fight for the lives a lot of uh, play a lot of good football to be fair James but don't have an out and out goal scorer to create the chances so Manchester City you're hoping we'll, we'll have enough to get past Brighton but it is a banana skin banana skin kind of game and that is the thing that Pep will be thinking because he knows to win a Premier League you've got to go to Brighton and win so it will be a test Oh certainly now moving on to our other local team it's Salford City and they're away at Forest Green not the easiest of fixtures but do you fancy us? Yeah I fancy, I fancy a win uh, for, for Salford City they've, they've been in good form recently James they found a bit of a bit of way of winning and that's an important thing um, when you're looking at going up divisions and up leagues, you, you need to be able to grind out results. So I'm thinking a way win for Salford and uh, on to the next one. Yeah, most certainly. And with a little bit of time left in the show, 
let's talk about some of the other fixtures that are coming up, Rob. And there's some big ones, aren't there? And I think the biggest one is a London derby, West Ham Tottenham. A terrific contest, Rob. Who gets the better of this one? It's going to be interesting, James. Obviously, both sides are, you know, playing good football. They've got coaches in who have managed to motivate their team, their players, and both sides sort of want to break into that sort of top four, top five uh, cartel. So it will be interesting. Obviously, David Moyes and Nunes, you know, there's a battle going on there as well to be the best coach. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Harry Kane, Jimenez, you know, they've got two goal scorers as well on the field, which is going to be interesting as well. Um, What do you think, James? It's a tough fixture to call. And although Tottenham haven't been having the breast of seasons... I still fancy them to get the victory here, Rob, despite the fact that they're away. I think they're just overall probably a slightly classier side. But moving on to another big game, Arsenal. After a dire start to the season, they've been playing a little bit better. But they're taking on Aston Villa, who've been doing very well this season. And could there be an upset here? Yeah, with about 50 seconds to go, James, it's, it's kind of important, obviously. Villa are a good side. They, you know, they're finding a way without Jack Grealish. So you're hoping that they can get a win. Uh, what about you? You know what? I'm going to pick Villa. I'm going to go for the underdog upset. And the last one for you, Rob, to close out the show, yep. Leeds versus Wolves. Leeds versus Wolves. Leeds uh, are a good side. I, I, just, I just think, um, you know... Bielsa, he's finding a way out to make them Leeds boys play. And he's on a journey, isn't he, with Leeds. And the whole of Yorkshire are behind him. So I'm thinking that they'll get a result there, James. And and it's all going to build for success in the future. And you're hoping uh, that can continue that run. So big thanks for tuning in to the Sports on this week. And we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>